0: Uh, if, you got a, if you have a Bible, I would like to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 4. Hope you guys are doing okay. Everybody well out there? That's good. Two of you are. It's a safe place. It is a safe place. I want to continue to talk through our series of grace and I want to do a, just kind of give us a picture of what grace looks like, and I think the best way to do that is to look at the life of Jesus, uh, being as a, what we said in Titus, where grace has appeared to all of us to bring salvation, and that grace being Jesus, Jesus being the embodiment of grace. We know that we have been saved by this grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. We've talked about a lot about grace in that aspect, but I would Just kind of want to press us into what does that actually look like for us as believers? How can we walk out that uh, life of grace? And can we not agree that our culture needs a little bit more grace today? If you don't believe that, then I would suggest you to come out of the hole that you have been living in in the past um, year and a half where things have been being canceled a lot. Have you heard this term called cancel culture? Uh, if you're not careful, it'll come after you. Um, and it'll come after you if you say something today or if you said something 50,000 years ago. That's how cancel culture operates. In fact, it's kind of become the spirit of our age. I thought that when 2020 was over, maybe we had reached the height of this non graceful era of time called cancel culture, but. Lo and behold, I was surprised and shocked, for some reason, that this cancel culture continues to infiltrate our society. If you watched on Netflix, the prophet Chappelle came out with a new show, and he did something quite comical, as he always does. I don't recommend you watching Chappelle, but he's a very funny man. But he did this skid, and he said, listen, I'm going to impersonate somebody, and you try to guess who I am. And Chappelle went on, and he said, if I ever catch you doing anything, anything wrong, doesn't matter when it is, could be years in the future, or it could be years ago, it could be the past, I'll never watch your show, I'll never come to your show, I'll never watch your team, I'll never support your business ever, ever again. And he looks at the audience, and he says to the audience, who am I? And if you watch this, this series, it's quite funny. You know, a couple guys in the back go, trap, you know. And he's like, wrong, I'm you. And it gets so awkwardly. And there's like one guy in the back that goes, ha, ha. Uh. <laughs> like this awkward laugh going on. That was his way of bringing up something that's just absolutely crazy that's happening right now. And I bring that up because I feel like it has, in some ways, infiltrated the church. It's infiltrated the church in in a way that says, now I've got to be suspicious about who I'm talking to. Now I have to be fearful of who I'm talking to. Now I have to worry what they're going to think, because why? I may be canceled. Or they may just kind of write me off. And their life, and a lot of we we think, well, that's their problem. And indeed, it is their problem. But if that's infiltrating the church, that is a problem. I I am concerned about the level of uh, discourse that we just don't seem that we can't have anymore because of this cancer of cancel culture. But my more concern is that how is it has infiltrated the church? I'll give you an example how I saw this work its way out a couple of weeks ago. I have this t-shirt. It says, let's taco about Jesus. Let us pray. <laughs> Amazing shirt. And so I went to this established place whom I will leave no name. No name's called here. And I noticed this person, as I was leaving that facility, this person said, oh, I like your shirt. It was as if a radar was detected, and I felt like that person was a fellow believer. And I went to my car and thought to myself, why didn't I say anything? What a moron I am at times. And I went there again. And as I was leaving this time, I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to identify a believer. <laughs> and we're going to have revival. It's going to be great because I didn't know they existed. And so I said, hey, can I, can I just ask you a question? And I was very subtle and calm about it. I was like, hey, are, you, are you a believer? A Christian? And um, the person looked at me in shock. Oh, whoa, why do you ask me this? And I said, well, um, it got really awkward, which if you don't know me, I'm a very awkward person. And I said, I was just, you just liked my Jesus shirt. Like I just thought, you know, Jesus, Christian, those, teen, those things tend to go hand in hand together. And, and she just said, well, I, I typically don't tell people I'm a Christian because I'm afraid it'll offend someone. And honestly, at that moment, I just—I my heart broke for this individual. And suddenly, the scriptures you know, all come to my head. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, Jesus looks at his crowd and he scathes them with a, a very terrifying rebuke when he says, if, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you when I come in glory. You see how cancel culture can come into... A church so easy to where we're just so afraid of sharing our faith that we're more afraid about being canceled. And I think this is important for us because if we're going to live out our faith, we cannot be robbed of the high calling of Jesus Christ that he gives us to share our faith and to share this beautiful doctrine of grace. But I'm afraid that this cult of cancel culture is infiltrating. If we find ourselves in a passage where Jesus should have been canceled. If you look back and we alluded to this last week where Jesus is with the Samaritan woman and Jews had no business dealing with Samaritans, just like Jesus had no business dealing with a woman in the high noon of day where it's hot. He's even disciples, they're just kind of awkward about the whole thing, like, hey Jesus, eat a meal. And Jesus, is like, what are you talking about, eat a meal? Like, don't you see something beautiful happening here? In fact, we have unearthed scripts of Jews in their prayers when they're thanking God that they're not like the dog's Samaritans. Jesus should have been canceled, but we see Jesus, and we see how grace truly operates, and now we find ourselves, not not only is he going to go to the outcast, but now he's about to go to the official, to this powerful man, and this is where we're going to pick it up in yet another scene where Jesus should be canceled, but grace cannot be canceled because grace is Jesus And so we're going to pick it up in verse 53, or 43, and he says this, After two days, he left there for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because he had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival. Now, I want you to just pay attention to what just happened. Jesus just said, I'm not welcome, but the Galileans welcomed him. That's going to be very important. For they also had gone to the festival. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Sounds like my kind of guy. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son. Since he was about to die, Jesus told him, unless you people see signs of wonders, you will never believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, Told him, your son will live. The, the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he, he got better. They said yesterday at once. In the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray over the reading of God's word this morning. God, thank you so much that you have brought every one of us here. And it's not just by accident or someone drugged them here. But God, they have a divine appointment with holy God and grace. May we be captivated and may it just flood our hearts and save in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an interesting story if you follow it along closely. His original journey was to go to Galilee, but he took this little detour and he says, I'm going to, we're going to take this little detour to the Samaritan town called Soher. And where Jesus goes to the Samaritan lady and then he goes back to Galilee and he says this interesting thing that a prophet has no honor. He's not welcome, but then the text literally says right after that, but the Galileans welcomed him. Isn't that weird that the Bible would seem that there's a bit of a contradiction here, but there's not. I don't know if you've ever gone to a party a good party, not the kind of keg parties that some of you sinners are probably going to, but the, the good kind of party, right? You ever go to a party or some kind of event or maybe your job and, you're, and you walk in one day and you're just like, eh, I feel odd. I feel like I don't belong here. You ever had that feeling before? I hope you don't feel that way now. This is the sense where Jesus gets this thing, this, this divine sense where he's like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the place where I'm not welcomed. Now, who would do that? I certainly wouldn't. But Jesus does. And I want you to see this because this is indicative of the power of grace and a picture of grace. Because grace will go where it's not welcomed. Notice it went where Jesus, the man Jew, went to the Samaritan town of Soher. Was he welcome there? No. Did he go anyway? Yes. And now he's encountering in Galilee where he says he's not welcome, but the people welcome him. Now, at face value, this does seem like this is an odd thing that Jesus would mention. But if you'll notice what happens a lot with the children of Israel and a lot with the disciples and a lot with Jesus' own half-brothers, in fact, if you just flip to chapter 7 of this gospel, you'll find that his half-brothers only wanted him to perform miracles and signs. They were for Jesus the superstar. And if you'll think back in John 1, 11, he says, Jesus came and he was not even welcomed by his own people. Now there's a problem here. Because outwardly, they are welcoming Jesus, but they're welcoming Jesus not for who Jesus is, but they're welcoming, welcoming him rather for what he can do. They love the signs of miracle Jesus. Jesus, can you just perform more of this wine? Can you, can you perform more of these healings? Can you do all the cool things, Jesus? But they were not truly aware of of the true Jesus and what he truly came to do. If you flip through the Old Testament, you'll find this struggle happened early. God would provide them with some miraculous thing. And if you just flip, maybe not even the next chapter, but the next phrase, what are the children of Israel doing? They've rejected God and started to worship some weird golden cow. Thus, Chick-fil-A was birthed in the Old Testament. And don't judge me. I know you worship it, too. Even in Genesis chapter 32, they get their identity when Jacob is having this little wrestling match with the Lord as if he's going to win. But after this struggle with the Lord, what does God do? He says, Jacob, I'm going to rename you. And your new name now is Israel, which means... Struggle with God. And throughout the entire Old Testament, what do the people of God do? They struggle. They're like, oh, thank you for your provisions. And the next minute, they forsake a relationship with Yahweh. Isn't that us? Isn't it? Sometimes, isn't that us? Still, thousands of years later, isn't that who we can be sometimes? We love the damage control Jesus. We love when Jesus can just come to the rescue and, and swoop in like the prince and king that he is and rescue us from our trauma. How does that work out with relationships, with parents and children, with, with, with friendships, if you're just after them for what they can offer you? I've counseled a many where that's caused a lot of trauma in relationships. And there's a theology issue with this. If we think that Jesus is just here to give us something, then we've missed the whole essence of his grace. And herein lies the problem with these people in the New Testament. I mean, this problem just sweeps on in from Old to New Testament. They're just after him for what he can do. But what does grace do anyway? You see this? Despite grace not being welcomed, grace comes in anyway. Is that not what grace did for you as a believer? What, you were just crying out and and begging God to bring grace? No, you weren't. The Bible says you were dead in your sins. The Bible would later say that you were an enemy of God. You weren't welcoming grace. Grace. Grace come to you, despite you, and took over you. That's what grace does. It goes to the unwelcomed person, which was us, and takes over. It goes to the heart that is dead and makes it alive, which leads me to this next part. Look at verse 9. Notice how this official Responds, he says, Sir, the officials say that to him. Come down now before my boy dies. And Jesus said, Go, Jesus told him, Your son will live. Not only does this grace go where it's unwelcome, grace has some type of power and authority over death. You and I just can't wrap our minds around. I think You know, As I I lead a church, as I lead my family, as I lead in other things, and as you lead maybe whatever it is that you lead in, as collectively, our authority still is no match to the authority of the grace of Jesus. In fact, I don't think Jesus is after how much authority and power we can gain anyway. Jesus is most likely, the Bible would kind of flip the script a little bit and say, actually, I like you when you're weak. I like you when you're at your weakest because then that's when my power is displayed. So here's Jesus. He comes in. 15 to 20 miles away, his son. That's a power that you and I just can't really ra- We can't walk in that type of power, y'all. I mean, this kid, 20 miles away, and Jesus speaks with his authority and with all the grace that he has for this father. And he says, yo, man, your, your boy going to live. And immediately... The kid's okay. Twenty miles away. If Jesus could do this for an official, and we'll get into this in just a second, if he could do this to someone with his um, with with all of the things that he carries as an official, hostile towards Jesus, do you think he would do this for us? That's what grace does. It brings life to dead situations. You have a dead marriage. You need Jesus. You need grace. Grace can bring life to that. You have a wayward child. Grace can bring life to the child. And he doesn't even have to be exactly where you are. He can be miles away or seem like he's miles away. And all he has to do is just speak the word. And there it is. That's what grace does for us brings our dead hearts to life. Notice this other part where he says, Jesus told him, you people, just want me for my miracles. Now, in in the Greek, when you see this word, you, he's not just talking to the officials. It's better to be translated as y'all. This is how we would say this in the South, or you you all. Jesus says, basically, he's like, y'all just want me for my miracle. And then you'll believe. Who is he talking to? He's talking to an audience. But the official says, come before my boy dies. Who is this official? It's a very interesting thing we've seen so far where Grace has met a Samaritan woman viewed as a dog. Now we see where Jesus comes to the up and out, or he's an official. This official was likely a, an official to the king, if you know your Bible, who was king at this time, Antipas. If you remember who Antipas was, he was a very wicked, disgusting individual, married his brother's wife, had the daughter seductively dance before him, had John the Baptist's head cut off. And here's an official to likely King Herod or King Antipas here. A disgusting individual. You see what grace does? Grace came not only just to the down and out, but the grace is also for the up and out. Grace is for the down and out, and grace is also for the up and out. Sometimes I think that we feel like, you know, those uppity people, God's just going to smite them in all of their wealth. Jesus doesn't think so. In fact, he tried to get to his Jewish people. He tried to get to the Pharisees and Sadducees, but they just weren't having him. So what did Jesus do? He pushed the cultural norms. He pushed the cultural boundaries. And he reached out to people who were viewed as dogs and who were viewed as just these disgusting people. That's what grace does for us. And I've just got an unsettling question that I have in myself that a lot of times I feel like this grace is just for me and it's just for the church. But that's not all what Jesus is displaying in this pack, in this picture of grace. He's displaying to you and I that this grace is for the downcast and for the upcast. It's for the down and out and the up and out. That's who grace is for. If you think it's just for you, you're wrong. If we think it's just. Well, I'm just going to hide my faith and shelter my faith in this closet because I'm afraid of getting canceled. And you've missed the whole beauty of the gospel of grace. Get out your closet. Because people out there, I'm glad nobody's sitting there because I just spit. People out there need this Grace. They're burdened down with a doctrine of duodism and works a lot. They're burdened down with how I've got to present myself to culture around me, when they need to carry the load of the gospel of grace. It says, "Come, come to me and I'll give you my burden. My burden's light. That's what grace is, comes to take off the chains and the burdens of life. This is what Jesus is calling them into. Rest in my grace. And he's presenting this beautiful picture of what grace is and what grace does. Here in the slums of the Samaritans and so her, and here in the power of the officials, You think Jesus is worried about being canceled? No. He knows he's going to die because of this. May our fear of being canceled be no more. and May we have more of a fear of God and what he has called us into. That's grace. And so my question is, if this isn't just for us, then what are we doing about it? Do we think that there are other people who need grace? Sure. But our challenge is what are we doing? Are we, are we kind of like probably the disciples watching this thinking, y'all, Jesus has just flew over the deep end. Why is he talking to this Samaritan? Why is he talking to this official who's like rubbing arms with the dude who just had his cousin beheaded? Why is he talking to this guy? The disciples I'm sure they had this fear of being cancelled in fact we know they did I mean when Peter's confronted on the night that Jesus was betrayed a little girl comes to him says oh you're Peter you're that dude that's hanging with Jesus not me I have no idea who you're talking about we just have a real talk for just a second I've never been intimidated by an 8 year old little girl have you Okay then, Peter has. Why was he intimidated? Because he's so afraid of being canceled. He's So afraid about what the people are gonna think of him and he's totally just forgot about the grace of Jesus. Where are we at with Jesus this morning? Is he just an accessory? Is he just someone who can perform a mighty miracle for you? Is he someone who can just do something powerful for you when you're just in need of him? Is he kind of like the genie in the bottle? You just rub Jesus the right way and out poof comes Jesus. And you give him your demands and he's supposed to meet them. Is that your Jesus? Because I'm afraid you've got the wrong Jesus. Jesus is not our genie in the bottle. Jesus is our Lord and he rules sovereignly over every tiny aspect of your life. And he is to be worshiped. Or or, or are we like probably these disciples in this passage where where we find ourselves worried about being canceled and, and grace just has not truly taken over our lives to where we have to take out grace to the culture around us. May the doctrine and the culture of grace always trump the cult culture of this being canceled every day in our lives and in God's church. Let me pray for us this morning. I pray God and I thank you Lord for for your grace, your unrelentless, powerful grace that if we truly see your grace, then we'll never be the same. If we could just view you for who you are and not for what you can do, our lives will never be the same. And I, and I repent because I, I too fall under that. Just give me what I need, Jesus. Just give me something, give me something. And the failure of my own heart is just not to worship you for just who you really are. That you are the ruler of our all things, and I I repent of not sharing this grace to others. Capture our hearts with this grace, and may we take the grace into our community, and not be ashamed not be worried about being canceled, not being worried about being offensive. Help us in all things, God. I pray, Lord, for our hearts of surrender. And we would surrender our lives to you, God, for those who need you, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would heal, do what only you can do, that you would restore brokenness, restore relationships, heal our minds. Those who are dealing with anxiety and depression, may they just find rest in your grace. Those who are dealing with that. I've just got to get better. I've got to do better. I've got to, you know, just give myself a list of things to do and then I'll achieve some type of success. God, help us to strip that down and just rest in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, we're going to pray, time of worship. Uh, we'll have somebody down here uh, and then I'll be over here. Uh, if you need prayer, if you need to surrender your life to Christ this morning, and uh, we're going to just take this time to respond in worship, so let's do that.